This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we are live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we have a very special guest all the way from Hong Kong, former IOSH president, Vincent. Vincent, if you want to just come in and tell us a little bit about yourself and do a bit of an introduction. Well, depends on how much time you'll give me. It could be two seconds, I'm Vincent Ho and get it done. Or it could be five hours, just tell you from the beginning of my life till wherever it is. <laughs> um, Seriously, um, as you said, I'm from Hong Kong. I was born and raised in Hong Kong, um, but then my mother's side and has uh, had moved to the USA uh, in the 50s. So mm -hmm. long time ago, 40, 50s, they're one of the railway workers. And then, so my mother's side family moved to New York and um, Queens. So um, I was about 16 or so. So I left Hong Kong, went to Australia, finished my high school, and then I went to USA to join my family. And then I was there um, working my butt off like everybody else. Um, I dropped out from school after high school, saved up enough money, and then went to college. Mm -hmm. I got into UCLA, the University of California, Los Angeles, back in what well, I spent most of my time in LA. And um, I got in there and somehow something kicked in and changed my brain. I used to be in the bottom of my class in Hong Kong and something just kicked in. So I finished uh, my BS and MS in three years at UCLA and then continue on my PhD in nuclear engineering, um, specializing in risk assessment and management. So in the seventies and eighties, well, oops, I'm telling you how old I am. <laughs> Um, risk assessment are really blossomed in the nuclear field. And the reason is that when the nuclear energy came out, you like it or not, it came out in the 60s. It, it was something that's so far advanced compared to regular fossil plants. So yeah. all the prescript, prescriptive regulation doesn't really work on them. So we have to come up with a risk assessment, find out what the risk level should be and how the how each plant can achieve that level and find out what can go wrong. So like everything else, a risk assessment is not really just check the box, get a number. It's a process, find out what can go wrong, how likely it is, what are the consequences, and then you can do better. Mm -hmm. People will say there's a nuclear accident. Uh, we know that it's hidden somewhere. Yeah, of course you know that. In a risk assessment of a nuclear power plant, we're talking about, about um, 10 people three men, three years kind of work. You, you build your eventual file tree, postulate almost every single foreseeable scenarios. Yeah. So in typical nuclear power plant, we look at about five, six million scenarios, what can go wrong, independent path from nothing to call out. The next step will be how likely it is, what are the uncertainties? The beauty of risk assessment is not really about finding probability and consequence is about finding uncertainties. You can be very certain something go bad, so you can do something about it. But the biggest mistake is you don't know what uncertainty band is. Something mm -hmm. that you think you'll work, but actually uncertainty band is this wide. 
something that you know it won't work and so it's this small. So you can do something about it to remove it. We can look at a pump, normal water pump. And I can tell the fatal rate, for example, is five times 10 to the power minus five per hour, very, very small number, right? But how much uncertainty in that number? How much do you know what about, how do you come up that number? Yeah. You should just run a hundred pumps, get an average. So five times 10 to the power minus five, whatever it is, you can have a small uncertainty band. That means you're quite sure it's about that number. That's a nominal value. Or you could have a large uncertainty band. You could actually fail tomorrow or 10 million years from now. We just don't know anything about it. So, so happen mathematically, you get the average. Sorry, I'm, I'm a geek. <laughs> uh, Stay with me just for a few seconds. Yeah. So this is why when we do risk assessment, it's all about finding what can go wrong, how likely consequences and uncertainty. If I, if I know that uncertainty band is small, I can go away and do something else. If I know my uncertainty band, uncertainty band is wide and big. I need to find out why is that? Because I don't have enough knowledge of this pump. Then I should find out more about this pump. It's not just probability times consequence. It's all about uncertainties. Mm -hmm. So as, as my life move on, um, my contribution to the professional world is actually five risk assessment. I um, was in a team that we wrote a computer program to predict fire growth in a compartment inside a nuclear power plant. Um, interestingly, in the old days, as I said, prescriptive law, if you have redundant cables, A, B, well, let's say in the middle, let's say A is redundant to B or vice versa. So if one cable gets burned away, you still have the, the next cable, right? So we have redundancy. However, in the old days, in the in the early well, 1970s, the law say if they're separated by 20 feet, how wide is 20 feet? Oh, six meters, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Then it's all right because you know a fire will not burn six meters in the room if nothing in between them, right? So everybody thought that was okay. Until then, there was a team at UCLA thought, well, maybe we should look at the risk. Are they really okay? So we start to do simulation. If there's a fire here, what is actually going to happen? Will a single fire take out my redundancy cable, even though they're six meter apart? So we wrote this program and calculate all the uncertainties in it. Well, interestingly, if you find a computer program that stimulate fire growth per minute, they go very close to, to, the, to the experiment because they treat the result. When you look at the fire um, software, you'll find that there are about a hundred inputs parameters including density of the wall, heat capacity of the wall, um, air convective heat, heat transfer rate. How much uncertainty do you have? If each one has that much uncertainty, how do you multiply them? Because a hundred parameters put in a computer program, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't have a, a actual understanding, you will never get it done. Yeah. So when I ask you, what is the density of the wall? Well, you can look at textbook, concrete, whatever, 0.8 um, kilogram per meter cube. But how do you exactly the wall behind you? You don't know until you get a part out of it and test. So there's uncertainty in there. So we, we have this computer program that can estimate, given a certain fire size, heat release rate, and how soon both cables will burn out. Yeah. So, so interestingly, given a, a certain uh, fire size, like let's say two megawatt fire, both cables burn out within 10 minutes. So mm -hmm. the redundancy is gone because at that time we figured out there's something called hot gas layer. Hot mm -hmm. gas layer means when you start a fire, you can think just intuitively, the fire will hit the ceiling and then the smoke will spread out 
and then you have a hot gas layer. Mm -hmm. Now that's why when you look at fire, when people say evacuation, you need to lay low because these hot gas layers stay in the ceiling. When you have two cable chain within the same, same hot gas layer, they actually see exactly the same heat flux. Mm -hmm. Convective heat transfer, weighted heat transfer. So they will burn up at the same time. They will get damaged at the same time. So our computer program can help to upgrade the whole concept of about looking at fire risk in, in a nuclear power plant. So um, by the US Nuclear Regulatory Commission back in 1986 or seven, they sent a generic letter 8820 to say my computer program is the only one that's recognized to be used for nuclear power plant, individual plant examination for external events, quite a long name. Uh, so I became a fire risk expert and internationally well-known, uh, basically, um, 10 guys in the whole world can do that. And I'm one of them, um, but life goes on. So I became a uh, management consultant and worked with transportation weapons and other area using my risk management background. It turns out risk assessment and, and risk management is very portable. You can go from one industry to another industry because it's the same thing. What can go wrong, how likely it is? So I can drive people to think about that. Well, of course, I'm not a very engineer they will have better knowledge in the, in the subject matter, but I know how to do the risk model. So I do that um, um, quite successfully again, lucky. I'm just being lucky my whole life. And um, then I came back to Hong Kong in 1999, recruited by company. I never thought I would come back to Hong Kong, but things just happened. <laughs> um, from the time they make an offer, the time I lay in Hong Kong, with my wife and my family never thought about coming back to Hong Kong. It was mm -hmm. just one month time. So it's, I talked to my wife, she go, yeah, go, let's go. Yeah, okay, how? Pack things up, okay. So we ship a container, all my stuff, and with my two years old child, uh, not in a container, but care with us. <laughs> so we came to Hong Kong, and then I'm here ever since. Our original plan was to stay here for three years and then go back to LA, remodel our house, and then just go on. So, so it's like those, those uh, um, there's like a movie called Internal Fair, Someone were undercover like three, three years and then three years and then three years. Now it's 21st year. So a seven, three year cycle has gone. I'm still here. Um, why I want to stay here? Because there's so much work I can do here. Mm -hmm. um, the risk assessment, risk management in this area are, are still behind. So I can use my knowledge to help people to understand more and how to build a model, how to do the stuff. So how to get into OSH? I was the head of um, um, risk management in a company that recruited me. And then they asked me to take over corporate safety as well. I said, yeah, okay, no, safety, risk, same thing, right? So I become um, involved into occupational safety and health. That's probably about 2002 timeframe. Mm -hmm. And I uh, company asked me to take over also the compensation, employee compensation um, injury cases. So I said, yeah, okay, I'd like to learn something new. So I got into there. And, and read almost every single case in Hong Kong, uh, 5,000 cases in the past 10 years. And yeah. so I've become quite, quite good in that. And what captures me is if I do risk assessment, I can help to imp improve a system, but I can't really see how many lives I can save. But when I work at OSH, I can immediately see this will save life. These four guys jumping on the scaffolding, running around without safety hardness, if I stop them, I can save life immediately. Yeah. So, so it's whether you want to save life in a long manner or you save life immediately. So then I kind of put my time half and half in, in still risk 
risk assessment, risk management, corporate risk, and so forth, and then OSH. So as life goes on, it, it becomes like system safety, OSH, pretty much half and half. Um, I enjoy my work. And um, as I talked to uh, Anthony, um, I'm going through retirement now. I'm actually already retired back in August. Wow. <laughs> and um, I'm going through my extension. I'll retire again in December. Um, so so it, it's for the young members. I really hope they can understand giving back to society, being a volunteer is very, very, very self-satisfactory. Yeah. Um, you can have time. Well, of course, everybody worry about, oh, I don't even have the job. But um, you have the time. You don't need money. You can help people out. Being a mentor, high school students, giving talks, share experience, working in Irish family, that's also one to work, right? I, I'm not rich. I'm not well to do at all. But once you get to a certain point, you need to decide, should I carry on, be, be a nobody and, and get past year after year, or should I come out and donate my time and my energy to help the society? So mm -hmm. I choose both, keep my job, do this and do that. Um, it, it may sound easy when I talk to Anthony because it, all this lockdown, people have been um, having stress, anxiety. Um, that's why we, they need to look up to us because in the past, people always laugh, oh, all those safety guys, it's, you know, go away. I, I check the box, I give you the inspection report. But in the past few months, luckily or unluckily, people look at us and ask for advice. We stood up and we helped them. And you can see immediate return of how we can do uncertainties. If you look back, um, I've been giving talks since, since April about COVID-19. We had a wake up call on December 31st, mm -hmm. way ahead of everyone. Um, we actually know something going on in China by reading newspaper, but all laughing. It always oh, 3,000 miles away. It never come to Hong Kong. Yeah, it was just, it was going to go, oh, it's, it's a flu. It would be going go away. Kind of like Donald Trump said in public. But um, December 31st, we got a call from newspaper reporter and say, well, we find these uh, uh, cases in uh, a city in China and we want high speed rail connecting Hong Kong directly to that city. So they ask, what have you done? Say, oh my God, what have we done? So we immediately kick out what we call infectious disease business continuity plan that yeah. we learned from the SARS, from other past failure, mistake, painful, whatever experience. We're kicking the plan right away. Um, it was New Year's Eve. Everybody watching firework, but we're working. Um, I didn't go to bed until 4 a.m. in the morning. We got press release. We kick up the plan and escalate to different threat levels. And there we go. So we were already by mid-January. Um, also, luckily or unluckily, because we had that experience back in 2003, I was also the champion driving, fighting against SARS at that time. So it's like refreshing my experience. We went through um, swine flu, um, avian flu, MERS, different kinds of uh, infectious disease. So we kind of like, OK we are kind of resilient. Let's, let's take out all the tools and put it back. If you remember back in February time, I still remember that we have big argument with even the presidential team of IOSH. Should we wear masks? No mask. Um, one of the, the, the key member in the presidential team would say, oh, mask is useless. Do not use it. I, re I recommend my client do not use it. I said, wait a minute, stop, stop, stop. Do you know what is it used for? It's not used to protect you, but is a barrier to separate asymptomatic carrier who have no way of showing it 
or someone has a symptom but decide to go out to a society, I block him, not you. It's a barrier to stop him from transmitting the virus outside. So, so there's uncertainty. We need to look at uncertainty of our advice. If you're not really sure what you're talking about, be open to people and say, this area is a new area. Let me do more research. Let me look into this. So yeah. turn out um, the University of Science and Technology in Hong Kong um, did a CFD study, computational food dynamic, looking at how disease being transferred, aerosol mode, that they have a prediction that within the first 50 days, if you have 80 or 90% of people masking up, you flatten the curve. Mm -hmm. You know, trust me, look at the John Hopkins University trajectory of all the, the world. Those countries that push mandatory mass or either, either mandatory or non-mandatory all flatten really fast. Those countries that are laughing at mass, they go up. It might be purely incidental, but the way I look at COVID-19 is take back to your knowledge. If you remember James Reason switch cheese model, mm -hmm. all safety barriers like a sweet cheese, right? There are holes yeah. in it. It depends on how many layers of cheese, sweet yeah. cheese, yeah, that thing can still go through. Yeah. So the mass may not help everybody, but if I can stop one of 10,000, I have one layer. There's no mm -hmm. magic bullet. It just depends how many layers I have. So that is came from my risk management background, looking at redundancy of nuclear power plant. So we have this layer, that layer, case management with different layer switches. We try all the best, whatever that we can, benchmarking, leading packets from the industry, bring it back. There are people asking, how much is it? Is it cost effective? Hey, I don't know. I do not know, but I know it will stop something as long as it's not being harmful, as long as it's being negative impact to people, we should do it. I have budget, push one. Life is, has no price. Why you want to do OSH? Because you want to save life. You want to make world as a better and safer place for tomorrow. How do you face a family member coming back and say, my daddy died because you didn't give him enough adequate protection equipment at work. How do you feel? How do you see husband and wife coming to you? The, the bread butter maker just passed away because you didn't put in your knowledge to help stop that. You didn't put in that extra layer of sweet cheese. You didn't fight for the budget to get for it. Unfortunately, um, um, my company um, quite support safety and we pretty much can put in any layer of sweet cheese we want. Yeah. Temperature scanning at entrance, some people say useless. I don't know, it might be, but it's not really to catch people. If you think that way, I may stop one in 10,000, but I still stop it. It's also yeah. a gesture. I put a temperature measuring here. If you come to Hong Kong, every single restaurant and, and um, department store will have one, even 7-Eleven, even golf mm -hmm. play. This is sort of like a sign. It's like a burger alarm sign you put on the, your window to say, I have a burger alarm. Do not come in. So if, if people, they have a fever, mild fever, they just want to get something to eat, they put a face mask, I cannot stop them until I can measure it. So it turns out we, we might stop one in 20,000, really, one in about 20,000. Do I use that switch cheese layer? Is that going to help? It will help something. It won't help that. It will help this. But it's one of my many layers. And the key message is, look, I have this here. If you're sick, do not come in or I'll catch you. So people look at, oh, I better go somewhere else. Um, so that's how we look at COVID-19. The more layers, the better. And 
the only one thing that we have doubt on is this disinfection channel or, or tunnel. I don't know if we have seen it or not. That people make a tunnel, you walk through it, um, disinfection spray on you, there's UV light whatsoever. Um, we look at it, we don't think it, it's going to be helpful. It actually has negative impact on the person. So that is not going to be one of my layers. Mm -hmm. Why it's negative? Even though whatever you spray, supposedly the manufacturer gives you a bunch of harmless uh, MSDS um, mm -hmm. material, that shit, but you suck in your lung, you don't know. You, yeah. I don't know what that is. Plus, what if I'm wearing a $50,000 suit and you spray something on me and I get discovering, I'm going to sue you. So mm -hmm. you got money. And you also got um, false impression to people that once you walk through it, you're bulletproof. But the virus is inside your body, not on your clothes. And the mode of transmission by touching clothes is pretty much zero. There's no evidence showing that people yeah. can both and get it. So this infection channel with UV light, when you look at it, it's bad for your eyes, right? Mm -hmm. So why do you want it? It turns out people use that only when you come up from a dirty room because you're dirty, you want to be disinfected. It's like you, you work in a, a virus lab, you come out, you want to make sure you're not carrying virus outside. But mm -hmm. if you walk in the street, you're going to go home. Why are you going to tell people your virus over your body? You don't. Mm -hmm. So they have their own um, specific use, but not for general consumption. Yeah. And if you work in quarantine, quarantine healthcare, let's say an airport to stop people and you, you catch them, then yeah, because you might be carrying something out from your clothes and whatever, you just throw them away, but when you put normal clothes, then, then yes, that would be an extra layer. But to me, um, in the general public, I don't think it's an extra layer that helps. So we decide not to go for it. Uh, again, there's no magic bullet. We're still learning. We're mm -hmm. still learning a lot of stuff until there's a vaccine, workable vaccine come out. We just have to make sure we're being careful. We still have to look back. The number one factor that can help us is physical separation. Mm -hmm. We do not want to call it social distancing. I almost get into that, that phrase. We just got oh, social restriction, social distancing. Social distancing has second meaning that you have to connect to people socially. You can connect to people through multimedia, Facebook, WhatsApp, um, like Zoom call. So it's not a social restriction. It's actually physical separation. You want mm -hmm. at least two meter apart. If you live in the middle of nowhere, you will never get COVID-19 unless people airdrop the virus on you. So it's a separation, number one magic bullet. Number two, hand hygiene, mask up, do whatever you can to protect. If you have less than two meters or three meters, you need to put in extra layer of barriers. The more, the better. Uh, whether you need to have a face shield, yeah, let me go too much, but if you have it, why not? Mm -hmm. um, so so that, that's our take on it, and we're still fighting. Um, Hong Kong has gone through three peaks, and um, we're coming down to single digit, five, 15 cases rolling back and forth, mostly imported cases, people coming back from um, other um, more difficult countries. Yeah. Um, we're coming back to a single digit. And um, so we don't know, we just have to be diligent in personal hygiene. The way that we will have a next wave is when people stop being careful. So mm -hmm. the new normal is everybody must be carefully looking at themselves, wash their hands, look at personal hygiene. Um, I usually get sick every three, four months by cold, flu, whatever. And somehow once we masked up, 
I haven't got six scenes since January, so which is a good thing. And and also, I don't know this by chance. The flu rate in Hong Kong dropped down because everybody doing social separation and um, mass up. So it helps in that regard, but it hurts in economy. So there's a fine balance between the two. You want to open the shop up or you want to save life. Um, so also fortunately, this virus doesn't kill people as fast as SARS. Mm -hmm. SARS, we had about 30% fatality mortality rate. So that means 30% people catch you or die. This guy so far is like 3.4%, sometimes point, less than 0.1% depending on which country you are. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's higher, sometimes lower, but on the average about 3%. So flu is about 2%, 1%. Um, so, so the bad side is, is because people don't die fast enough, so, so they get multiplied. So, mm -hmm. No, I'm going too far on this. So come back to my life. <laughs> uh, I, I joined the Hong Kong branch as IELTS member, uh -huh. and then um, I donate more time and being a council in 2007 or eight, I think. Okay. I never thought about being a president. It has never gone to my mind. Never, never, never. So once they had this system of vice president, uh, um, Andy Lowe was the first one from Hong Kong to become a vice president. Mm -hmm. So he asked me, well, why don't you join this uh, presidential team too? I said, nah, it's, it's not for me, it's, it's for someone else. Um, but it's that thinking is for someone else. Stop you and everybody become a volunteer to the next level. Yeah. Step up, take the responsibility unless you have constraints like family, other issues. If you have the time, the energy, I don't want to call it ambition, but just giving back to the, to the community, giving back to IOSH, they help you. You gain knowledge through the CBD program. So giving back to, to the community of IOSH. So I became a, a vice president in uh, 2015. Again, never thought I'd become a president. It's never, never happened. Now just uh, go away. Don't, don't, joke, don't even joke about it. You know, we from Hong Kong, how can we be a president? Um, but somehow something happened. It, it just, it's like a dream. Something happened, suddenly I become the president. Mm -hmm. um, first, first Asian guy based in Hong Kong, based in Asia, out of our 75 years of history. It wasn't by design, but it works out. Um, thank you, <laughs> I take it. Uh, but I think the message is, if a guy from Hong Kong can do it, anyone can do it. That is a strong message that we send out. Um, if you look at the council election, it, it has gone to the, the point that 12 opening, 12 people run for it. And then after this it's 25, 45 people running for it. That is more healthy for an organization that your people stepping up, you will lose, so what? You step up, you lose and you try again and, and something else, some, someone else will move on. But at mm -hmm. least you tried. If you never try, you never know what's going to happen. So I tried and I was lucky. So I get to this stage. So everybody can be lucky in some point. Um, luckily, my, my background allows me to ex, um, talk to different countries, share experience. I can always lean back to my OASH and risk assessment background and talk about um, different areas. Mm -hmm. And we help to push um, the No Time to Lose program it was actually launched in Asia, in Hong Kong in 2014. We were the first one to launch it. So I yeah. get some background in it. And you know, being a no time to lose um, ambassador is so sort of, yeah, I've done that before, let me do it again. Um, so here, here I am. Um, spent my first year of 
presidency. And I always joke that I have the best year compared to everybody else, not because I'm Donald Trump. <laughs> it's because I have the best president elect that my, my next president won't have. <laughs> That was a joke. And I'm the best past president that my next president would, would not have. Um, so, so my past president, immediately past, was Craig Foyle. Very, very nice guy. Um, very, very smart. Know everything has on. So he's sort of like mentoring me in the early stage. And you all know Andrew Shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the president-elect in my year. And the three of us worked together really, really well. It was the uh, personal dynamics. And all three are looking at two, three different areas with no interest, cross interest whatsoever. Um, so that is the way it should be. We work in Irish, it's a family. We should treat each other like family because we come here because we want to be here. It's not because someone put a gun in my head to come here. So if you're here, enjoy it, enjoy it and enjoy it. And you know, giving back to the, to the institution and do whatever we can. Um, that's, I think that's a message I sent out. Now I'm stepping down officially on the 25th or 26th, depends on which time zone you are, October, mm-hmm. that I'm no longer immediate past president. Yeah. So am I going to stop all my involvement with IOSH? Um, might be. I will stop my involvement with the council because I deeply believe, well, my personal opinion only, a past president should just move on, should not go back to the council. Otherwise, you know, someone else should take up the plate. There's always someone there. No one is expandable. So even back in Hong Kong branch, I, I was a branch chair in 2007. I start to set the rule that no branch chair should become a, a member again. You got to leave, cycle out. You can be honorary advisor, but if you come back, you occupy a seat. We have 790 members in Hong Kong. I cannot find 12 people. I don't believe it. There's going to be someone who stepped up the plate, like myself, five years ago, step up. And we've got to give them opportunities. Everybody can be a rising mm-hmm. star. So now we have a new president, new president-elect, they all step up. So the message coming out is, if you're interested in it, be a council member, join the VP pool, one day become president-elect. And, and then you can really, really give him back to society by opening up the horizon. Um, in my year, um, my first trip was to Austria, Vienna, Talk about a little time to lose program. Yeah, I know that I can do that. Yeah, easy. And then um, it never stopped. I went to Malaysia, India, um, because my, my area is all Asia Pacific. So um, I don't, it's not, I don't. I always think it's more cost effective that since I'm in Asia, I take over Asia world. I totally agree with that. So all the activities that were supposedly done by past president during the presidential year, I let the vice president do it. That's mm-hmm. why we have vice presidents. They're not just sitting there having a nice title. So they all get on to doing part of the presidential work during mm-hmm. my year, because so happened that I'm not based in UK, not even Europe. So everybody likes it because everybody get a taste of it and then, then roll on. So um, in the past few years, we built a very, very strong reputation in Asia Pacific area, mm-hmm. um, Australia, India, Middle East, Singapore, everybody start to look at what is IOSH? And now they all know. Mm-hmm. And every time when I go back and say, oh, Vincent is back, it's not Vincent, IOSH is back. They know we launched No Time to Lose program in Malaysia last, last, last year and yeah. India, and everything just go up. Um, we need someone to stay and carry this forward, um, some young guys. And so we could go exponential, um, not just grow a membership. 
is to grow on the belief that we will have a safer working place in the future because we care. It is really the passion. If you don't care, move on, do something else. You have to be, you have to care about people. You have to put it back to society. Do not ask for return. Return will come in somewhere, somehow in the line. You just don't know it. It will be, it will come back to you. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't ask for it. I become one and I'm stepping down. I'm happy that I have done it. I'm happy that I stepped up. I'm happy that someone nominated me. Thank you for them. And I'm happy to see every members to step up again. Just voice out, talk to people, um, explain what Irish is, help them to join the family. And mm -hmm. that's, we only have 48,000 members. Yeah. If you compare to I'm belonging a member of institutional mechanical engineer, child engineer, 120,000. Mm -hmm. Why can't we grow to that size? We should, we will, we can. It's a matter of how to get the message out, how to tell people OSH is no longer something that, oh, you don't have anything to do, become a safe officer then. No, it should be something that people aspiring to be. Yeah. When I talk to high school kids, what's a safe officer? They have no idea. Mm. They'd rather be a bus driver or postman, which is a very good <laughs> occupation. I'm not looking down on anything. It's just that, what about safety officer? What is that? Well, let me explain to you. So high school education, high school ambassador is extremely powerful. Road safety, food safety, anything you can teach young kids. They're like a sponge, they absorb it. So when mm -hmm. they go to the universities, they think, oh yeah, this is gonna be a field that I want to become a safety manager or officer rather than, oh, what can I do now? Yeah, let me, let me try this Irish thing. No, we don't want that. We want people to actually want it rather than told to do it. We're starting so, to see that develop through, aren't we, Vincent, that people are selecting safety as a first career choice. Traditionally, people came to it as a second or even third career, but nowadays we're seeing people starting to go out and actively seek a career in health and safety. It's nothing wrong being, being a second career or third career. Um, nothing wrong with that. It's just we want to have people have being first career that we yeah. didn't have before. If you look back 20 years ago, safety pretty much second career. There was no nothing taught in university about OSH. Um, so I always start doing that in 2005. A lot of people hate it at that time because it kind of like stopped the people not having a degree getting into Irish. But you got to move, you got to evolve, you got to expand, and you got to elevate yourself. Otherwise, people would not compare us, chartered safety and health professional practitioner, compared to chartered engineers. So we have to move up. It may be painful now, but I, I'm sure 10 years later, when you look back, when I elevate ourselves to in line with engineer, that people in high school aspire to be a, an OSH practitioner. My first career, I want to be OSH practitioner. That's exactly why we want this OSH career started sponsorship. Help the university mm -hmm. graduate member to stay in IOSH, to stay in the family, two years free coverage of their membership fee so they have no excuse jumping somewhere else. Two years is good enough for them to go for their chartership. Yeah. If they will not retain their membership fee in IOSH, that means we've done a bad job within mm -hmm. that two years. We cannot show them IOSH is a good family to take care of everybody. Yeah. So that would be my mistake if they cannot stay. So I think we do whatever we can, another layer of sweet cheese to help the young professionals to move on to the career. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So 
Can you tell us a little bit about the role that you work in day to day that you're about to retire from in Hong Kong, Vincent? What do I do? Yeah. Ah, everybody asks the same question. Um, for people who never thought about retirement, they may need to plan for it. It is, I was just joking, it's almost like a death sentence. You've been working, I've been working almost like 15, 20 hours a day. Suddenly there's a date, a date that I know I'll have nothing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like university graduate that you need to go find a job after school life, you have a job life. It's like, what am I going to do on January 1st? I'm supposed to without December 31st. You know, New Year's Eve, happy, yeah, see the firework, drink champagne. Yeah? But what about January 1st, 2nd? My wife hates it. Oh, you're going to be at home bucking me every day. I say, yep, I'm counting on it. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I'm still teaching part time in universities. So there's another university is asking me whether I will stay in Hong Kong and help them out to rebuild the safety program. Um, mm -hmm. They want to include the hygiene element and also risk element into their EOSH program. So um, I'm happy to do that. Um, I'll continue to do my volunteer work um, mm -hmm. until the day I die, I guess, um, because it's very satisfactory to help someone. The only thing that I ask for is whoever I help them, when they get better, help someone else. Yeah. So I also set up three sponsor, uh, um, scholarship program at UCLA for Hong Kong students, um, regardless of financial hardship or not. And so they check the box that after they graduate, they'll come back to Hong Kong and help Hong Kong. They can get the scholarship. Of course, there will be selection criteria other than that. So I'm not rich, but I have, I have just enough money, put it aside, dump it there. Every time I go out to give a talk, People give me honorium or, or transfer fee. I said, no, just deposit into the account. Help the next generation. Every year I get a letter coming back from the student who got it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, that. The only thing I told them is, I've been telling them is, help someone else. By the time you get to my stage, my age, I have some spare money, not too much, but you know, giving back to society. They helped me out 30, 40 years ago. I should help someone else too. Just yeah. imagine if one person helped two people, two people have four people, there'll be a lot of happy faces in the future. We yeah. need to step up and do that. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant, Vincent. And that's so inspiring for some of the people that will watch and listen to this podcast to see that you've contributed so much back to society and to the profession of occupational safety and health. If we move on a little bit now, just to give some advice to someone that's starting out maybe as a career in health and safety at the moment, what advice would you give to someone that's just starting their career as a health and safety practitioner? Well, depending on when they started, means they, they came up from school, get, get the, the certification. Um, advice could be pay attention to everything they look at. Remember your work is to save lives. So, be equip yourself with the right level of knowledge. Do not go beyond your knowledge space. If someone asks you for advice for something you don't know, do not give advice. Just be honest and say, I need to do some research about it, rather than give advice to people on, on, a, on a, a field that you're not sure about. So stand on your feet, do continuous professional development, always learn something new, and always meet someone in the IELTS meetings talk to someone, share experience, give a talk. Even though you might be career starter in your first few years, 
you would have learned something. You can go back and talk to high school students what you have learned. And that will be anxiety, um, stress. What am I going to do? It's actually a very good career. Um, you can become a trainer. You can become an advisor. You can become different things. You can even become a college professor. Um, it really depending on which branch you want to go to. Even within OSH, there's so many fields. You need to decide whether you want to be a generalist or a specialist. If you find out the seven, several areas that you want to pay more attention to, yeah, be a specialist. If you think, well, I want to work in construction site, be a generalist, either way be fine. You need to ask yourself which area that I like. So mm -hmm. I, I understand that everybody will try to find a job, a well-paid job, but after, after a while you find every job is about the same. Do you really like that job? Are you passionate about your work? If not, change into another discipline. There's so many disciplines within OSH. You might like audit, you might like inspection, you might like, you might like system development. So you might like hygiene, health, um, different areas. So try different areas. Do not lock yourself into one single silo and be happy about it. Try to always branch and learn something else. And then you can go next level, next level. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Vincent. And thank you very much for dedicating your time to come and speak to us today. I really appreciate you getting involved in the Safer Than Your Average podcast. Is there anything that you're working on at the moment that you would like to promote in the podcast or anything that you want to give a mention to? Um, stay safe, stay healthy, and also look into people around you. Check with them. Are you okay if they look down? Try to be positive. Try to send a message that life is good. We will come out from this COVID-19. We will go back to normal. If not today, next month, next year, one day we will be ready for it. Do not go depressed. Do not do something uh, um, silly. Just stay, stay strong. We need to stay strong, stay together. That's why we don't like the term social distancing. We want to stay together. Although it's not face-to-face, -face, talk to people, call people, go FaceTime go do whatever, mm -hmm. get the social linkage, carry on. Do not try to stay in a place and to say, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, no, life is way beyond this little hump. There are far more years towards in the future that you can explore. So try to use this moment to study, go, go look for books, go to internet, go Google for some area that you didn't look at. Let's say look at the, go do the do's and don'ts about risk management. Mm -hmm. That's very lovely. Um, look at three lines of defense. That's a new area. People looking at how you assure safety in a company. So there's mm -hmm. an, it's actually an old term that your first line, second line, three and third line of defense. So how you elevate your company to that level. So there's so many new things to learn. If you find you have nothing new to learn, create your own area. Yeah. Create your own space. So there's always something new out there waiting for us to explore. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you very much, Vincent. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. <laughs>